I came here to save you. And who's going to come to save you, Junior? I told you. Indiana. 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 We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. And now our featured presentation. Why? Why? I'll tell you everything. Yes, I know you will. <laughs> Welcome to the Sci-Fi Fan Radio's exploration of film, with an emphasis on science fiction, fantasy, and horror. And we're going to do a little bit of venturing. I mean, we've both got our little fedoras on, got our uh, leather jackets and our whips. We're going to be... That's right. I'm Tom DJ. And I'm Derek Ferguson. And we're going to be spending this hour covering the Indiana Jones trilogy, which has been in the news again lately because... We are supposedly going to have a fourth film coming dun, 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 dun. I'm sorry, go ahead. Raiders of the Lost Hip Replacement, apparently. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, is not Harrison Ford in his 60s at this point? I know he's over 65. Yes. He's, I know he, he is getting on in years, and I don't think he is going to be quite cut out for doing all the jumping and the running and the snapping of the But whip. guess what I read just this morning? What did you read just this morning? About the last one, this is being recorded on Super Bowl Day, February 4th. He's not going to do it because they won't let him use a real bullwhip. Uh-huh. They want the bullwhip to be CGI. That is incredibly stupid. Supposedly... The insurance companies have changed the rules on them, and they will not allow him to use a real bullwhip. Harrison Ford says flat out that if he cannot use a real bullwhip, he doesn't want to, do, doesn't it. Want to do it. And considering that this man, I'm sure he trained very hard to be able to use the bullwhip in the first three films, I can understand his point. He was on The Tonight Show once, actually, mm-hmm. and he did give a demonstration. And from what I understand, he is fairly proficient mm-hmm. in the use uh, of the bullwhip. And well, he had to do it so he wouldn't take off somebody's ear right. during the set. And know? these were, of course, the movies that made everybody want to take up the bullwhip. Notice you see quite a few earless guys walking yeah. around. <laughs> Something you don't play with. You know? I remember me and my brothers making our own toy bullwhips yeah, out of items found around the house and hurting each other with them very badly. Yeah. That's what I read this morning, that he says that uh, if they won't let him use a real bullwhip, he flat out won't play the role. But considering that he's had one excuse after another for, what, like the last ten yeah. years, doesn't really surprise me. If he doesn't want to do and it... I, I think I'm kind of grateful, quite frankly. I don't know how I would feel about seeing Harrison Ford at 60-plus trying to do these stunts that he was doing as a much younger man. Well, it doesn't really bother me because, let's face it, he wasn't doing most of those stunts in other movies either. They were stuntmen. Well, it was going to have the same sort of sad veneer that those last two Roger Moore, James Bond films had for me. Yeah, but that's different. Roger Moore looked like a tired old man when he was a young man. Mm -hmm. That's because I don't like Roger Moore's James Bond, folks, so you can start hating me Mm -hmm. now. (laughs) I don't like Roger Moore's James Bond. You know, Sean Connery is probably the only actor his age that can look convincing on the screen kicking the ass right. of guys that are half his age. And it's Harris- not surprising that when they decide the time came for in the third film to choose somebody to play Indiana Jones' father, they chose Sean Connery. Well, who else could they pick? I mean, really, realistically, the well, Indiana Jones movie owes a lot, mm-hmm. you know, not just the pulps of the 30s and the 40s, but also to James Bond, too. So, I mean, that was inspired by the casting right there. I mean, I really don't have a problem with Harrison Ford playing an older Indiana Jones, and I think it would be kind of interesting seeing him like the 50s or, or even, you know, the 1960s. In a way, him. you could almost have done something similar to what Max Allen Collins has been doing with the Nate Heller novels. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're familiar with the Nate Heller novels, yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, I've read a couple of them. Where, by the time you get to the, the, the 50s and the 60s, Heller is very much realizing he is an artifact. He is something not of this time, mm. and it's wearying on him. It could have been an interesting film, but I think they would have needed to have a younger actor to counterpoint him. 
he would have become the Sean Connery character right. in this fourth film. Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't that one time they were even discussing uh, bringing in the illegitimate son or yeah. something like that? And you know, he Oh, was, all the being... various possibilities that we had heard for this fourth one. At one point, they were trying to squeeze all three of the female lead from the, the previous three films into the, into the movie, which would have been kind of sad because, quite frankly, not all of them have aged very well. No, they haven't. Have uh, you seen Alice Car- You seen Alice in Duty lately? <laughs> no, I was actually thinking of Karen Allen. Poor oh, Karen Allen. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Somebody definitely went the Margot Kidder route. She didn't really exactly have the biggest career after. Yeah. We all, all the time talk about, like, Steven Spielberg movies and so. And mostly, that's what we remember, the Steven Spielberg movies. I don't really think that very few people have become major stars because yeah. they were in Steven Spielberg movies. Exactly. Not- it, I mean, because Harrison Ford was a star before he did Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. It just made him a bigger star. Right. But when you think about people like Karen Allen mm-hmm. or even Kate Capshaw. Who but we knew he liked because he married the woman. I mean... Let's face it, you don't exactly become a big star. And whatever happened, the guy guy who played Short Round. He did, what, the Goonies? And that was it. That's his other claim to fame, the Goonies. And then we've never heard from him again. Mm -hmm. Most of the people who became stars from Steven Spielberg movies were stars already, like Richard Dreyfuss. He was a star already. You Um, had people who went on to greater character actor careers. I mean, John Rhys Davies pretty much turned Sala into a cottage industry for a yeah, while. He did it in what... Uh, he played variations of that character variations of it. almost yeah. his entire life. Right, right. Until he got to Sliders. And he yeah. did, then he kind of like broke away from mm-hmm. the TV show Sliders. Although I still think one of his most interesting roles is I don't know if I mentioned this, he played the Kingpin. Yeah, in the Daredevil in TV, the Daredevil movie, TV yeah. movie. Which I which I thought he made a very good Kingpin. He was very... I mean, there was, the, there was this one excellent scene in that film where he's giving his orders to his lieutenants and he's looking out of the window of his sky rise and he says where did the pigeons come from? And the guy said oh we had, it's like have him poisoned. <laughs> Just very nonchalantly. <laughs> that was a film everybody talks about how cheesy those later day Hulk movies were but that one was good. That's the one where the guy played Daredevil Rick Smith. Rick Smith Rick played Smith. Daredevil they actually had a very good scene in that movie where it's just like him and Bill Bixby as David Banner. They're just right. sitting there just talking. Mm-hmm. About, okay, and he's telling him he's Daredevil and he's telling him he's talking the shit they going through and yeah. everything. And it was a very well done scene. Remember, they had originally signed on for six films. The other four characters were, if I remember correctly, Iron Man, She-Hulk, an original character called the Chameleon, who I think is just now being pushed through by Stanley Media. I think the fourth one was supposed to be the death of the Hulk, which we eventually did see. Okay. It kind of makes me want to know what, what would have happened in those three films. Because mm-hmm. they weren't that bad. Yeah. They weren't that bad for what they were. We gotta, go back to, we gotta go this back to This is what's gonna happen, people. We're gonna to get all the these tangents, right? Before we get it, basically, folks, you know what you're really listening to? Me and Tom do this all the time. He, <laughs> he'll call me, and I'll call him, and we'll stay on the phone for like three or four hours until my wife screams at me, "Get off that damn phone!" Right. And this, so stop playing with your friend. Get inside. <laughs> so basically, what you're listening to is one of our phone conversations. It's just that we're doing it face to face, and we're recording it. So if we go off for track, your delight and edification. So if we go off track once in a while, please forgive us. But either one of us will. Bring the other one back. Okay. 1980. Collaboration between longtime friends George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Lucas had had the idea for a 1930s pulp hero. Have you ever seen the original production art? Yes. And by Jim, much, Jim Steranko. By Jim Steranko. The original Indiana Jones image was very Doc Savage-y, actually. Yeah, very much like Doc Savage, who is one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. of all time. Which I think we're going to get to one of these days when we talk about what could have been. We're definitely going to get to that. Yeah, and I think that uh, Spielberg, he wanted to do a James Bond movie right. for the longest time, but for some reason he just never got around. So they decided to collaborate on, I think it was always called The Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't think they had an original name for it. I think that the second one had a, an alternate name. I know the third one definitely did. The third one was called, originally called uh, Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. Okay. And they changed it to Lost Crusade. Well, yeah, because if you call yeah. it the Holy Grail, kind of like gives away. Also, it makes you think of uh, Monty Python. Yeah, uh, that too, right. So they went through a couple of castings. In fact, on the rather excellent uh, DVD set that they put out about three, four years ago, there are some screen tests mm-hmm. from Tom Selleck and, I'm trying to remember who the actress was, they almost cast as Karen, in Karen Allen's Marion Ravenwood's part. Mm-hmm. They almost went with Tom Selleck, and here's something that's going to be familiar to people who are James Bond fans. Tom Selleck was committed to something called Magnum P.I. at the time. Mm-hmm. And they eventually went with Harrison Ford, who, of course, George Lucas had 
good experience working with on the Star Wars film. Well, there's a little bit more behind the scenes than that because Magnum, the series had actually ended. Mm-hmm. They had did the final, what they thought was the final season. Magnum actually got killed. He got right. shot and killed. And the last scene had his spirit walking off into heaven. And didn't he like meet something that may have been the spirit of the guy who was working for something like that? No. Okay. No. That, or maybe I'm confusing with something else. No, he just like his ghost yeah. visited all of his different friends mm-hmm. and everything like right. that. But yeah, but it was a done deal. And of course, it was like the media hoopla. Oh, oh, Tom Selleck is going to do a picture with Spielberg and Lucas right. and blah, 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 and this and that. That CBS, they reactivated a clause in his contract. Yeah. Same crap that happened to Pierce Brosnan right. and Remington Steele. They said, okay, well, we want you to come back and do Magnum. Mm-hmm. I have read and I've heard that if he had wanted to, if he really wanted to fight it, he could have got out of it. Right. But he's not like that. They say he's one of the most honorable people mm-hmm. that's in the business. So he said, okay. Although you've always got the impression from some of his choices of movies in later years that he kind of regretted not doing the film. Because you look at Lasseter. Lasseter. And there was, was another say, one with him and Beth Armstrong. High Road to China. Thank you. High Road to China, where he plays uh, Indiana and Jones-like character. Uh, and in Lasseter, if you guys ever rent this movie, and I do recommend that you rent it, there is a scene where he wears a fedora and a leather jacket mm-hmm. and looks a lot like what you imagine he would be as Indiana Jones. Right. So he's done like some of these 1930s type of things. Right. To, uh, I don't think we have to go through plots of any of the films. Because they are probably some of the most popular films. Don't rent the movies, you lazy. Don't rent the movies, you lazy. You lazy gits, right? (laughs) Needless to say, Raiders, of course, was a major hit. Phenomenal. When it came out. And I think part of it was just, one, it's an incredibly well-paced film. It just hits the ground running and it never stops. And right from that first sequence, it's interesting how they play the Where's Indy card in each of the three films. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the first time we see Indiana Jones, we don't even know that he is who he is. Right. Because he's in shadow. He's in shadow. Until he takes out the signature bullwhip Uh to defuse that assassination attempt. But it's a brilliant opening, that first 10 minutes. Because right there, it tells us everything we need to know about the character. He's brave, resourceful, a little bit on the shady side, thinks fast on his feet. Remarkably resilient. We hadn't seen a movie hero take a beating like this in a long... By the end of the movie, he's so beat up, it's, you know... Well, that's one of the things I love about the Indiana Jones films, is that he's not one of these Teflon heroes. And some of the, my favorite action films... Right. These, the Die Hard Die films, Hard, yeah. People who feel the brunt of it. I don't feel as empathetic with a character who just mows through a thousand people and doesn't feel anything. And it wasn't like the James Bond movie where James yeah. Bond has a tuxedo and he beats up a couple guys and he lowered that's in buttonhole never gets creased mm-hmm. and you know, his shoes never get scuffed. And Indiana Jones came along at a time where really we were looking for a new type of action hero. Because right. we had had what the Rambos. And, well we were and, just coming out of one of the more interesting periods in American cinema. This very ambiguous very gray area type of filmmaking where you had a lot of downbeat endings, a lot of endings that were open to interpretation, a lot of characters who didn't necessarily do the right thing all the time. Right. And Indiana Jones was one of these characters along with the characters in the Star Wars trilogy who pretty much put the nail in the coffin to that period. Yeah. And and Star Wars like, opened up a whole audience that didn't know they were looking for this type of movie. But but once they got it, they said, okay, well, this is what we mm-hmm. want, and we want more of it. And, oh, yes, it did start a whole flurry of imitators and remakes, including oh, God. High Road to China, which we mentioned earlier, including Which Lassiter. actually wasn't, wasn't bad, and Bess Armstrong was one of my favorite mm-hmm. actresses from the 80s. And, uh, of course, you remember The Treasure of the Four Crowns, the 3D rip It's coming at you! It's coming at you! <laughs> oh, Yeah! As a matter of fact, wasn't the first ten minutes of that movie practically a rip-off of yes. Raiders uh, with the whole, with the death traps and everything like mm-hmm. that? And what's kind of interesting is that you could, even though I'm sure it was never intended that way, you could see the formula locking into place right in that first film. You start off with the action sequence, mm-hmm. you have the whole setup, the mysterious item that the uh, India is supposed to find. Right. You get the, the, the initial chase scene. Mm-hmm. You get the icky animal room. Formula is set up, but I mean, I think the pacing... But it's paced so well that, that you don't see a formula. Which is because if you look at the first one, Indy doesn't really do anything to cause the ultimate demise of his opponent. Okay, let's say that there was no Indiana Jones in the movie at all. Yeah. The Nazis would still got blown up anyway yeah, when exactly. they opened up the box. You exactly. know, so, but still, it's fun to watch him go through his paces. You know? yeah. Where this one excelled, where some of the others did not do as well, 
villains were exceptionally well cast. Yeah, well, they had a great cast. You had a great cast across the board. I think that it had the best of the three female leads. Yeah, without a doubt. Karen Allen, Marion Ravenwood. It's sad that Karen Allen did not follow through on the career that she was supposed to have. Right, because she was... After that. She was remarkable in that movie. She, as much as anybody else, Harrison Ford, Mm -hmm. Spielberg, anybody, a lot of people don't... She's like the major character upon which the whole plot... Yeah, well, a lot of people don't appreciate with, her contribution yeah, to that movie. Yeah, you take out Marion Ravenwood and there's no story. Yeah, really, it's not. It'd be a completely different movie at all. And I can't imagine a movie without her or and somebody else playing that as role. As we pointed out, yeah, she went the Margot Kidder road and, and let herself go. But back in those days, she was kind of hot. Definitely hot. I mean, and she know. had so many great scenes. I love the scene where she pretends like she's getting drunk with Oh, guy, yeah. And she gets him and, drunk. And we know that she can drink yeah, any man exactly. up under the That's table. That's one of the, the signs to me of a really great film is that you may not realize if something is being set it's up. It's a setup. But they set everything up so that when it comes back, you go, oh, of course. Because when the guy pulls out the bottle with the intention yeah. of getting her drunk and taking it, you start laughing because right. you've seen her drink. Good old Belloc. You've seen her drink a whole tribe of Sherpas yeah. up under the table. So this is like Kool-Aid to her. Good <laughs> yeah. old Belloc. It's kind of a sad that we never got to see that character again. The fly eater. Remember there was a scene where a mm-hmm. fly flew right in the oh, yeah. And that guy, <laughs> that guy was such a great actor. He, didn't, he never even blinked an eye. He just swallowed it and kept going with the lines. That was the and thing. the thing that's interesting about this film, and this is something that we're going to get when we get to the third film, is that the film is fun, but it takes itself seriously. There's okay. a lot of little grace notes. Like, for example, the I think it's like the second or third appearance of Tote. Uh-huh. The creepy henchman type. Yeah. Hail Hitler. Hail Hitler. <laughs> you know, when he shows up in Belloc's tent. Uh-huh. And he pulls out what looks like a wicked triple iron. And oh. you realize, oh, sh**. And even Belloc is like, well, yeah. damn, well, damn, what is that <laughs> going to do to her? You and know? it turns out <laughs> that it's just it's a, a hanger. It's a hanger. But you got to watch it for the look of Belloc's yeah. face. Because it's like, even he say, yo, man, wait a minute, you go a little bit too far. Yeah. What gonna do? And Tony, he so who else but a Nazi is going to walk around in the desert with a leather <laughs> trench coat? <laughs> yeah. and I'd be hard-pressed to come up with visuals for the villains in the next two films. Mm-hmm. But I can instantly call up Belloc. I can instantly yeah. call up Tote. Pre- I'm much more hard-pressed to call up images of the, the high priest. In, uh, well, he was the only villain, really, in the movie. And well, no, you had, the, you had the, the prime minister guy. Now, granted, yeah. the little kid, Sharif, uh-huh. Pasha guy, the control of the, the cult. Uh-huh. But still, he counted as a villain for most of the film. Yeah. I defy you to come up with the name of any character... Who was a villain in Last Crusade? No, I can't think of a single name. I know that Julian Glover, Glover played the played villain, one of the but villains, I can't remember yeah. his name. The I only can't... reason I can remember that the female lead's name in that one is Elsa Schneider is because I just watched it two days ago. Oh, in okay. Yeah. Now, see, if you hadn't told me that, I wouldn't have remembered that. I don't remember. But her we're going to get to those. And the other thing that, that's amazing is that you have all these great set pieces, and the, all three of these films were done before CGI had become the all-dominating force for special effects. You know something? If we had had CGI back then, remember when India's in the tomb with the yeah. is that with all of the snakes? Because you have a lot of snakes, mm-hmm. it's scary. If we had had CGI, you know something? He'd have been up to his armpits of snakes, oh, and yeah. it, it wouldn't have been as scary. Oh, Because yeah, the CGI course. guys would say, add, add more snakes, add more snakes. But you had a lot of snakes, but you had enough to make it realistic that he could keep away from mm-hmm. them. If we had had CGI, we would have had I mean, snakes stuff hang, like in hanging that, from the ceilings right. and, and snakes that could leap and yeah. snakes with wings. And, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, stuff like the giant pinball machine, so to speak. The giant pinball that comes crawling down the, in the first sequence. Oh, the boulder, yeah. It would not have looked as good. It would not have looked as dangerous. That was all in studio. And as a matter of fact, I never forget when I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I saw it with an audience, that part where he's running from the bowler, and he actually stumbles at one time. Yeah. Everybody in the movie screams. Yes. Everybody screams. And if you look at the look on Harrison Ford's face, another thing that I like about Harrison Ford, he's one of the best runners in, oh, yeah. in the movies. When he runs, he actually looks like he's running from something. And he's got the dork factor. He's not afraid to look silly. Yeah. He's not afraid to look at a disadvantage. That's one of the things that makes Indy so like and, and make it work for him that yeah. he's not afraid to look silly and look like he doesn't right. know everything. Yeah, I remember, I mean, the, the audience just let out with a huge, oh my God, he fell, you know, which, which showed, and you was only like five minutes into the movie and people were that caught mm-hmm. up with it right. already. 
That's a testament to how well put together that I mean, you just was. don't... The film does not let up. The film does not let you go. Even, like, in the slower moments, there's enough of a sense of wonder to carry you through. Especially when you consider, like, when we get back to this, the climax. The climax of that first film, we have a hero who's totally passive. Yeah. He does nothing. Yeah. Our yeah. eyes are wide. Well, yeah. I mean, you yeah. know what's going to happen when they open up the box. It's right, not going to end good. It's not going to end well at all. But mm-hmm. you're worried because you don't want to see anything happen right. to him. And, of course, Marion, you know. Well, yeah. it made a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money. And, of course, it was no question there was going to be a second one that was going to come out a couple of years later. Right. Uh, what was that? It was like 83, I think? 83, 84? Sounds about right. It was the same. Wait a minute. It was the same year because because at that point Harrison Ford was a very busy man because he was doing Star Wars. He was doing yeah. Blade Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah. Same time. Yeah. Well, you got to remember that at that time Harrison Ford was the biggest movie right. star in the world. A position he held for like a decade with the Star Wars movies, like you said, mm-hmm. and. Blade Runner and Indiana Jones. And Although Blade Runner was one of those films that was a bomb when it first came out. Yeah, it really didn't become the cult hit that it is today until I think it was like about 15 years yeah. later that it really mm-hmm. became appreciated for what it was. Even I, when I first saw it, thought it was a pile of crap. Me too. I, I, I walked I, out on it. I'll be honest. I saw Blade Runner and I said, eh. But that was because, you know what? At that time, I hadn't read the original novel right. it was based on. And also, I think by that time, we had gotten used to seeing Harrison Ford in action movies. Right. Maybe what we were looking for was a futuristic Indiana Jones. Yeah. I don't know. But I know that it wasn't until years later that I got a little bit more maturity, yes. Mm-hmm. And I saw it in... Accepted the movie for what it was. It took it on its own terms. I said, you know, something this is a pretty damn good movie. Well, of course it is. It's a lot better regarded than it was when it originally came out. So there were a couple of interesting choices made in the film that ultimately became Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yay! The choice was made to not bring any of the characters back from the first film. So there was a bit of a stink from fans because they wanted to see Marion, they wanted to see Sally, they wanted to see all these right. characters. The only character who carried over was Indiana Jones. Was Indiana Jones, Jones yeah. But it was a prequel. It took place about a year before about a year the event. Supposedly before the event. And of I can understand why Spielberg decided to do this, primarily because I think what he was doing is like, okay, you've seen what he is. This is how he came to this decision. Okay. Especially when you had these little seeds in the in the first film about how he was not the greatest guy in the world at mm-hmm. one point. I mean, hell, he had a affair with its implied an underage Marion and well, yeah, throws well, her over. Yeah, well, they're pretty clear about that. Anybody with half a brain can read between the lines yeah. and tell what went on there. In but play- we already know that he's a yeah. morally ambiguous character right. because, let's face it, bottom line is Indiana Jones is a grave robber. Right. <laughs> He steals artifacts from other countries and ships them illegally to America. So he's a guy that really doesn't have much problem with bending the rules here and there. So You appreciate this film more than I do. Well, um, I have gotten used to the fact that most people detest, hate, and despise I don't Temple think I, of Doom. I, I wouldn't say I hate it. No, not you, but right. I'm saying a lot of people I know that, like I mentioned Temple of Doom, they go, Hap, Dewey! You know. I'll, I'll go so far as to say I think it's got probably one of the best... Opens of the three. Films. How can you not love I that love, opening? Because it's so surreal. Out comes Kate Capshaw, who sings "Anything Goes" in Mandarin. In yeah, Mandarin, yeah, and she goes back, and there's this huge chorus, yeah, and, and it gets, like, and it's a Busby Berkeley musical. It gets like into a fantasy area where she goes through the yeah. mist. How big was that club no. anyway? Once the gangster Lao Che, Lao Che. Once the, the deal goes sour, and they're like shooting at him, and he does that thing where he's like going behind the. The tables. Uh huh. I love the choreography of that fight. Oh, and, and there's balloons coming down. The yeah, dancers exactly. are coming out. Oh, and, it's beautiful. I love that opening. And for some reason, it should have been a disaster, but it's choreographed like yes. you say so well. And he's trying to regain the poison, and yeah. it's getting kicked all over the floor. And it's you got so many things going on that, that the various characters want in that one sequence. Right. The diamond. You got the diamond. You've got the antidote. The, you know. the statue, yeah. the high, you know, it's so many things and he's running around and everything. But though, I gotta admit to you that that's the one part about that opening that I look at it and much as I love that opening, I still cringe. Because Indiana Jones is smart enough not to take something from a guy he knows is trying to kill him. Yeah. And the guy gives him the champagne and he just swallows it down. Now he's been... But, so no, but the thing is also, in this film, he's a much more arrogant character. That's true. One of the main themes in the second film is... Fortune and glory. That's what he's supposed to be looking for That's in the film. That's my thing, fortune and fortune glory. Fortune and glory. I can see him not 
thinking, hey, wait, this could be poison. Right. Because he's so arrogant, he thinks he's better than everybody. Yeah, and he can get out of it. The main character arc for him in this film is mm-hmm. he learns to be humble again. Yeah, a little bit more humble guy. He there. learns to be that more he selfless. He doesn't know everything. Right, yeah. exactly. Being beat with my own bullwhip would take that out of me, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when the guy, <laughs> guy takes his bullwhip and whips him, oh, yeah. yeah, that would take it out of me, too. You have this great chase scene that ends with him and the, the two new characters, Willie Stark, who's played by Kate Capshaw. Uh-huh. Well, we'll get to why I disliked her so much soon. Yeah, okay. And short round, and for the life of me, I feel ashamed to... I can't remember the, the actor's name. To the best of my knowledge, this was one of only two films he's ever done. I can't remember his name either, so... They get to. I they, think we'll be forgiven though. They get to the provided plane. Turns out that it's owned by. Yeah, but when he closes. Yeah, exactly. When he closes the door, because remember that the guy meets him and he mm-hmm. takes him to the plane. That guy cameo was by Danny Aykroyd. Sure, you remember this at that time. He was attached to a film I wish they had done. Uh-huh. Black Hawk. Yeah, I, I heard that. Yeah, one yeah. of my, which as you know, is one of my yeah. favorite comic book characters. Steven Spielberg had promised us a Black Hawk movie at one time for what, like about like five, six. See, Dennis Quaid would have been a perfect Black Hawk. Oh, absolutely. At yeah, that time. Dennis Quaid, absolutely. Because when he closes the door, Quaid is Black Hawk. Andre would be played by uh, what's his John Reno. Oh, well, let's, let's not get into this. <laughs> we can make that another one. We can make that another one of these days. Man, I love that character. And but yeah, when he takes him to the plane and the gangsters pull up and he yeah. goes, Ah, oh, you missed me, loud chain. He closes the door and you see the guy's name yeah. written on the thing. God laughing. Yeah, bye, Doc. Which begs the point, as much as I love the movie, you got to stop and think. If he knew that Indiana Jones was going to get on his plane, him, why was he chasing him all over all right. the place? That moment when they got on the plane is where the film starts going pear-shaped for me. The stunt sequence that happens after that... Yeah, the infamous... I, yeah. I, ...does not work for me. It does not allow me to keep my suspension of disbelief yeah. as much as the stunt sequences in the first film. In the yeah. first one, right. Because the first one... Yeah, there okay. are some pretty ridiculous stunt sequences in the in the first one, but always stays within that... It, it, it's a narrow margin where you can say, oh, but when the thing with the jumping yeah. out of the plane and everything like that... Matter of fact, you ever watch Mythbusters on the Discovery Channel? No, I don't get Discovery Channel. Okay, it's a show where it's these two guys, and, and they've worked in movies. Right. And they do things like that in real life mm-hmm. to see if they can work in... And they did that stunt. They did the Indiana right. Jones stunt with him getting in the life in the fall. They didn't put a real guy in it, right. but they built the dummy, mm-hmm. you know, the same height and weight, and they put it in a raft and they dropped it to see if it would actually work. Of course it didn't work. Right, of course. <laughs> you know, we know it's not going to work. Now, we start getting more of a sense of Willie Stark Scott. starting here. Sorry, Willie, Willie Stark. Why am I thinking Willie Stark? Uh, I have no idea. Am what I thinking of the character that, what's his name play, Mel Gibson played in Payback? No, what was his name in Payback? Wasn't his name Stark? In, I mean, no, they changed it to, to something else, but it was They changed on... it to Porter. Porter, yeah. The original name of the character was Parker. Parker, okay. And the guy that wrote it... Why am I thinking of Stark? Stark? Okay, the, Richard Stark. That's Richard why Stark. I'm okay. Now How have... does your mind work? I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, Willie Scott. <laughs> Where did you make Willie the connection Scott. to Willie Scott? And Played Stark. by... Kate uh, Capshaw, who later went on to become Mrs. Uh, Steven Spielberg. You got those names. Oh, right. uh, I hated this character. Why? Because you know, I don't understand why she was Vino. It was all about the money for her. But okay. that's the character. Okay, here's the thing, though. You, if you've got a, a main character, okay. we've already established that the whole point of this second film uh-huh. was to show us how. He went from being a really arrogant, full-of-himself person to the person that he was in that first film. Okay. Nowhere is there a conscience for him in Willie Scott. If anything, Willie Scott would probably have encouraged him to go further down the the road to what he could have been. Okay. And the character was used so much for for comic relief. In a movie series, it does not need comic relief because it's already got the comedy built into but it. But that's okay because, you know something, the competent woman of action who's right there with the hero and is just competent... You don't competent have to be a competent woman of action. It's just yeah. getting to be as much of a cliche Yeah, but you as, don't have you know, to be a competent woman of action. Which is what everybody wanted. They wanted another I You could have had a character like Willie Scott in this film who was not a woman of action. Okay. And not make her so, so grating... Okay. So rude, just so opportunistic, and like I said, venal. Venal is, is the word I use to describe But that it. was the character. That but, was the character. Okay, I, I know. Like I said, I already know I'm in the minority as far as this movie goes. I've learned to accept it. I deal with yeah. it with the grace and humility mm-hmm. that rules my life. I, but I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, but, and, and also, for the for the only time in the series, we so get me, these... 
for me, actually, I yeah. love the scene where him and Short Round they're playing cards. Remember in there, right. and they're yeah. cheating the hell out of each yeah. other. She's running back and forth and she's with the going, bats and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I like that scene. Myself. I mean, for me, it, it's it says more about Steven Spielberg's attitudes toward women in, than uh, anything else. Uh, and we're not even gonna get. Wait, wait till we get to Allison Duty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God! One of the other reasons I have problems with this film is for the first time there are stretches where it drags. Yeah. It takes too long to it get to the It takes too long actual... to get to the pa- The palace yeah, is yeah, where the, the palace. film starts. Yeah, the palace of Pancot. It takes too long to get there. The, the, the scenes in the village with the ancient wise men were essential to the film. Only when you get to the palace right. does the movie start. And even then, mm-hmm. it's slow to start. It doesn't really start till about 40 minutes into the film. And before that, of course... That's when the actual story starts. And before that, you get, of course, oh, look, here's a gross-out dinner. And look, here's Willie. She's going crazy with the gross-out dinner. With the eyeballs. Yeah, the eyeballs. And, oh, a snake's surprise. What's the surprise? Well, it's full of eels. Monkey brains. Monkey brains. Chilled monkey brains in a walnut sauce. He said, said, but you're not eating your beetles. Compare that (laughs) to how Peter Jackson treats a similar scene in King Kong. Mm Mm-hmm. Where Adrian Brody is fed, quote-unquote, stewed lamb's brains in a walnut sauce. Right. The dinner scene in Temple of Doom, it's everything is played for the broadest possible oh, yeah. joke. Lovingly lingers and all the gross stuff. Yeah, with the snakes. He, he opens the, up the snake and the, because, and the, and the eels and the wriggle eels, out. And the, eels, the live eels wriggle yeah. out. Yeah. How did they get them in the snake in the first place? I'll never know, but you know, not a movie where you linger the subtlety, on like that. I think that's one of the biggest problems with this film, is that the subtlety uh-huh. that we we saw in the first one. Okay. It's gone out the window. It's totally gone. It's okay. totally gone out the window. Okay. And then about 50 minutes in, we see the real, real plot begin when we find out about the thuggy cult. Right. Go through the secret panel. Yeah, I mean, we don't actually see the major, whereas, like, okay, in the first one, we see the villain. We see Belloc in the first sequence. Right. In the third one, we see the person who's supposed to be who's the main villain within about 20 minutes. Well, well we don't know he's the villain. We don't know he's the villain, don't villain don't at know. that time. But I get where you're coming from. We see him. But yeah, we Jumbo never, Doom is like... 53 like, minutes. They're still like, introducing their, their characters. Yeah, we're like three quarters into the movie yeah. before we and know... They introduce this kind of slimy prime minister guy, and you figure, oh, this is the main villain. This is the bad guy. This yeah. is the bad guy. But no, he's not the bad guy. He's the henchman. It turns out that the guy... I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he's actually played by... A very well-respected Hollywood actor. Very, very well-respected actor, yeah. And he turns out to be the main villain, and he's looking for all these Shankar stones, mm-hmm. because if he gets all the Shankar stones together, the armies of Kali will rise up and take over the world. But they're also putting slave labor the down children, the mines. The children from the village. Why? We don't know. Yes, they do. They tell you that in the movie. Okay, well, it's... Because they're small enough to go into the tunnels and stuff. Why are they mining anything? They're, they're looking stones. for Shankar stones. They're looking for Shankar stones, yeah. They don't know exactly where the stones are. They know they're buried in there somewhere, but they don't know where they are. It's a, it, it, I know it, it's a plot device to put the I children in it's jeopardy. A plot device. Okay, go with it. But, it's, you know, there are plot devices that work and there are plot devices that don't. I don't think that the kids work. It worked for me. It worked if, for they me. Fa- if Spielberg had found a way to better explain this, I think that the film would be a lot better. It worked for me. Okay. <laughs> I just feel it would be a lot better accepted than it is today. Of course, you've got this weird sub-thing where he's been inducted into the thing of Kali. With black, the the yeah, black blood of Kali. The black blood of Kali, which brings that really uncomfortable scenes of him beating up his little friend Short Round. Everybody knows this is one of the two films that famously prompted the creation of PG-13. PG-13, yeah. Because of these scenes of child endangerment and, and child... And heart-ripping scenes and... Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but I think more that it was the child of danger. I, I think that's what... I could, they, de- I could deal with the heart, the heart-ripping scene. Yeah, I mean, that's It why. is the scene of Indiana Jones, who has his father-son relationship with this kid, uh-huh. beating him, uh-huh. that I think really drove the point home. Yeah. Yeah, because there was people. one part where he, like, slapped him around a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, no, it's more than slapping around. He slaps him across the, the altar at one point. Right, but it's yeah. not as bad as the other scene, because the other scene where he really gets beat, but they have another kid doing yeah. it. Yeah. The little Maharaja. Yeah. Because Indiana Jones getting beat with his whip. 
Right. And they got short round and I guess tomorrow Roger got a riding crop or something like right. that and he's beating them. So it's well, not, it's just, that's what I think. Yeah, but it, yeah, yeah, but it's distasteful to watch, you know. Right. You don't mind seeing a full grown well, he deserves to get his ass whipped. This is one case where I can understand why the need for this extra rating was concerned because the first one was kind of racy and kind of bloody, but it was still... But it was done with more of a sense of fun. Yeah. And this one, you're getting kind of like... There is no fun in like, this film. Like, damn, this is getting kind of serious here. You there know? is yeah. very little fun yeah. in Temple of Doom. Yeah. Very little. And even I, as much as I love the movie, I have to admit that last hour when they're actually in the subterranean yeah. Temple of Doom, it gets awfully claustrophobic after mm-hmm. a while. It's like once, once you finally get back to the sunshine, it's like, it's yeah. like it gets so oppressive and everything like that. I know. mean, granted, it's still, I mean, a good performance by Harrison Ford, and he still hits all the right comedic notes. I mean, there's uh-huh. that one moment at the end of where they think they're done, and he's used his leg to break. As, yeah, he's and he's going, foot. water, water! Uh-huh. And then, water. and just the way that the transition is, where he's like, water, water, and then uh-huh. looks and sees that the breakers are coming. Well, you gotta admit that ending, I mean, it's just like one yeah. freaking thing happens after, after another, another, just when yeah. you think you get away, and then they run out of the tunnel. And Which they is think in keeping and, with the yeah. pulp aesthetic. Right. And it, I understand your point completely that Temple of Doom is closer to the aesthetic yeah. of pulp fiction it's a lot than closer. either two yeah. of the other films. just think that it didn't work considering what you've already set up in the first film. I can understand that, but like I said, that one, yeah. It, okay. You know, it really does it for me. And I think, one. though, there was such a backlash in that one that when it came time for was originally called, as we mentioned earlier, Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. Right. And then became Indiana Jones and the Lost Crusade. I think they all went overboard. What I like to say is that the first one was fun, the second one was funny. This one, it's kind of disappointing. I I don't know. There are days when I think that this one is even worse than the the second one. And there are days when I think... You woke up on the wrong side of bed. No, I'm just being... The things I like about the film. Okay, let's... Once again, it's got a really great opening sequence. The whole sequence with River Phoenix, which is... Beautiful. This is the way it's you do wor- these flashback sequences. It's worth seeing the movie just for that alone, as far as I'm concerned. And apparently, it's a brilliant opening sequence. Correct me if I'm wrong. River Phoenix went to them and said, "I love these films. I want to be in the next one." I heard he said, "Whatever you want me to play, I do it." What amazes me is I, I thought it lasted longer. It's only ten minutes long. Yeah, it's not that long. In ten minutes, you learn where he got the look, where he got the fear of snakes. Where he got the scar on his lip, mm-hmm. how he got, got his signature fedo- weapon. He already got the jet leather jacket yeah, and the fedora. Everything. I insist, you and I have talk, talked about this last night, I insist that that fedora is this fedora that is given to him at the end of that sequence. Probably it is. I like to think it is at yeah. any rate. When that character says to him, you lost today, kid, uh-huh. doesn't mean you have doesn't to like it. Doesn't mean you have to. Then he puts the hat on his yes. head, and then he lifts he up his head, and his head. Magical moment. It's incredible. I oh. mean, when I saw that in the movie theaters, again, it was the thing where the audience burst out yeah. in the cheers and applause. Oh. Everybody just lost it. Magnificent yeah. moment. Yeah. The formula is really obvious this time. It's almost like you could see, okay, it's about 30 minutes and it's time for the icky animal sequence. <laughs> okay, we're about 45 minutes and here's where we get the big expository dialogue reveal. Uh-huh. I think the thing is just that everything is now totally played broadly. Yeah. When I first heard that uh, Sean Connery had been cast to play Dr. Henry Jones, Indiana's father, I thought he was going to be basically an older version of Indy. Yeah. Stillwork was kind of brave in going with the, the version that he did. Well, it was a more eccentric version. Yeah. Probably. Although one of the other things... Although I, he did have, like his yeah. son, he did have his signature hat. Yeah. And he did have his signature... Umbrella. Yeah, his umbrella, yeah. And then one it of the was, nice things that I think Stillwork did very effectively was kind of show that even though they are as different as night and day, mm-hmm. the qualities that we admire in Indy were probably passed down to him, even though he probably didn't even notice it. Right. From his father. Because his father shows all the sort of resourcefulness, mm-hmm. grace under pressure, intelligence. Faithful, intelligence, faithfulness to his friends mm-hmm. that Indiana Jones does. Right. He does it very subtly. He does it, hit us over the head with it, and it's just over the course of an, that first hour and a half that we realize that this was where he got. Well, that was why the girl slept with both of them. Remember yeah. the classic line? Elsa Schneider. She slept with the next man. He said, yeah, but I was the next man. man. You know? Allison Duty. You want to get her out of the way the right now? You, you want to get her out of the way right now so you can be... Easily a, the worst of the three yeah, female leads. She, oh. Uh, yeah, you want to talk about Willie Scott. I don't know how you can look at her and Ilsa and say, well... Even Ilsa, Willie Scott I mean, you look at better. You couldn't tell from the beginning that Ilsa was... I, I looked at her and I said, oh, yeah, well, she's bad. I always remember Village Voice review for this. This film where the 
reviewer speculated that the only reason Steven Spielberg had cast the Irish actor Alison Doody mm. was because of her last name. Yeah. Because he <laughs> no. thought it was funny. She's a total waste of space yeah. in this film. In fact, adds nothing to the story, adds nothing to whatever it is that she called it she's doing. It's not acting, as far as I'm concerned. Pretty much all of the villains, I mean, except for Ju- Julian Glover gives a, a decent performance, and we didn't see him becoming villainous. No, I didn't. At I first. Didn't. I didn't. I, I thought the guy was straight up. Really. Right. I did. That was a surprise when. And even he said, didn't I tell you don't trust anybody? Don't trust anybody. <laughs> Once again, the, that subtlety that we saw in the first film comes back in little glimmer. Uh-huh. in the third one, but nowhere near as often as it did in the first one. And one of them is when you first meet the Julian Glover character, that would be the big bad. You know, he says very clearly, don't trust anybody out there. Yeah. And sure enough, trust, they, they don't trust anybody. No. And, and as a matter of fact, turns out every, just about everybody, what, the girl betrays him, he betrays yep. him, and he gets a share from a lot of people mm-hmm. in this movie. Outside Julian Glover, there's like a, a Nazi commandant who runs throughout the whole film, who is totally generic. Yeah, he doesn't make an impression at all. And there's what the guy that drives the tank, that, yeah. they have the fight scene on mm-hmm. him, which is well done, I like that. But going back to what you said, as far as the humor goes, yeah, a little bit, it's all, it gets to be like almost slapstick sometimes, yeah. like the one where the, they're searching the blimp, or the dirigible yeah. for Indiana's father, and then he puts on the uniform, and he throws God the window, and he says, yeah. no ticket, and then everybody yeah, goes up ticket. Now, I mean, come on, give me yeah. a break. Everybody's going to say, well, what's wrong with this? When he meets Adolf Hitler, yeah, and, and Hitler the burning thing, signature. and he's got the book, and he gets... Um, even the ancient knights get a chance to crack a couple of funnies. Yeah. In the film. Yeah, yeah. The, Although I do admit the line he chose poorly gave me a giggle. Right? Now that was kind of because it's, yeah. Yeah, it's obvious, yeah, this is uh, okay. He, no he chose poorly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although the one thing I did like, <laughs> that final sequence where he goes up against the three tests. Yeah, that was well done. The breath of God, no, the path of God, and the word of God. Uh-huh. Um, and ending with the actual sequence in the chalice room, where it makes perfect sense that the one that Indy chooses uh-huh. is the one that everybody's looking for. Right, yeah, the simplest, humblest cup. The simplest, cup humblest cup. cup. This is the cup of a carpenter, he yeah, says. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that we see. We you are say, so used. You say... Of course! We are so used to thinking of the Holy Grail as this big, massive, golden cup encrusted with jewels with an inner light shining out of it. We forget that this is a guy who had a very humble life. Right. And if he's going to make a cup, he's going to make it out of what he knows best. And Jesus was a carpenter. What else is he going to Right, exactly. There are like a lot of these little touches, like touches like you and I talked about the thing with the plane. Mm-hmm. When they're being chased by the plane, mm-hmm. and they're stuck there, it looks like they're going to get mowed down, and the Elder Jones has uh-huh. the idea of scaring the, bir- of scaring the birds yeah. and he, using them. He recites something. Yeah, from, he Charlemagne. Said, I, remember, I remember my Charlemagne. Yeah. The trees will be my army, and the birds up in the sky. Yeah, something like that. Which made me go look that shit up. Yeah. I said, let me see if they, that's for yeah. real, or did they make that up. Yes, there are little touches like that. Up. Now, one there of the littlest touches of all. Now, let me ask yeah. you something that I didn't think till later on. Now, at the end of the movie, oh, we see that Indiana Jones, he drinks from the cup. The immortality he, question. He drinks from the cup. You remember the show, the Indiana Jones Chronicles, right. where they had three different Indiana Joneses, mm-hmm. and they had the elderly one? They had one of those shows where he was like sliding down a banister, and right. it was like kind of implied mm-hmm. that even though he looked old, he was still like kind of really young. You know. Yeah. So, is he immortal having drinking from the cup or what? Well, I think it's kind it of healed, open to interpretation. Because it healed his father with no problem. He poured it on right. the bullet and wound. The and, wound and, is gone. And he drank out of it and he gave his father some too. If you remember, the the knight makes some sort of thing about it gives eternal life as long as you as long as long you don't cross beyond the seal. Well, you've seen the movie more recently yeah. than I, so you've got a better memory. And in fact, if you recall, the reason here. why the temple crumbles is because... Dumbass Ilsa. <laughs> Miss Duty is like, I got the cup, I got the cup! She wolf of the SS. <laughs> oh, dumb wolf of the SS. Oh, man, do we hate this character. Yeah, they told you, don't take the cup past it. Yeah. What are you talking about? She's like, oh, well, I got the cup. And what she does, she runs. And the dumb broad is surprised when the thing starts yeah, falling exactly. apart. Yeah, exactly. Oh, the temple is going, well, whatever did I do? Cup, great seal. Yeah, <laughs> There's some other problems with this film. I mean, you and I have discussed this. The whole film is one big, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're uh-huh. sorry for Lost Temple. You wanted you wanted the old characters back. Look, here's Sala, here's Marcus Brody. No Belloc, though, because Belloc, I guess, is still dead at the time. Run into the Angel of Death. Yeah. We'll do that, that to you. That to you. 
Salah and Marcus Brody are treated like total boobs in this film. Exactly, and I don't like it at all because Marcus, the way he's been... Marcus's role was exceedingly small in the first film, but you did get... But it was impression. memorable. Yeah. It was memorable. You, you know, he brought a considerable amount of weight, And I he's think. a ditherer in this film. He's a downright ditherer. He's... The odious comic relief. He plays strictly for laughs, which I didn't like. I didn't like that at all. Uh, me and you talked about this. They had a scene where Indiana Jones was saying the caption. Yeah. And they said, well, we're going to get a hold of Marcus. And we're gonna, And Indiana Jones said, well, listen, he's got Has people all over speech. the... And he said he knows people all over the world. He knows, he knows a dozen languages. He's this. He's that. He'll he's going to disappear. In. He'll blend in. You'll never find him. He'll just... And then the next scene, they cut to he's in the middle of Do a bazaar. Does anybody here know English? Then, yeah, playing the typical dumb British shirt. Dumb you know, British, yeah. You know, you know, ugly, ugly American. And I Sala, let's That's, not. Sala in the first film is almost as much of a, a hero as, as India is. Exactly. He's basically ham to Indiana's Doc Savage. Right, he's the strong right arm. He's the he, strong yeah. right arm. To have him be a total idiot and worrying about. Oh, that was my brother-in-law's car. Because they even have a scene where Marcus gets kidnapped right behind yeah. him when he's over in there, mm-hmm. and they did one of the things where they snatch him and he turns yeah. around. And it's a, I said, oh, come on. What are you doing? That's not Salah. That's not nah. the character. Nah, it's, Indiana Jones gives him something to do. Even, he's he's going to do yeah. it. He's not going to There's a good reason why like in the that. first film he's referred to as the best digger in all of Cairo. Thank you. You don't get you that don't title get by sense. being a blithering right. idiot. You don't get that sense in the third film. You no. get, he's, he's it's dead. playful. Like Even, said. and just Marcus is just so abused. Even his last line is used as, look, look at the funny British guy. He's yeah. going the wrong way. Ha, ha, ha. And they make out like he doesn't know how to ride a horse. Of course, yeah. back during the 30s, you knew how to ride. Riding a horse was pretty much a given for any British gentleman. You knew well, how to ride a horse. Anybody of a, even a, a, uh, an American gentleman of a certain yeah, of a certain means. Right, exactly. There, there could be an argument made that Marcus was American, was like from like Brahmin well, stock. Yeah, which would explain his accent, mm-hmm. but. Still, he's definitely a man of means. He runs a museum. He would he definitely have learned he how to ride a horse. He would know how to ride a horse. And they're going to have him on there that, you know, he doesn't know. you got to admit, that's one of the best closings of any movie with them riding off yeah. into the sunset. If they had to end the series on a note, that's the way to that's do the, it. What do, you th- do you think that that moment they thought that was going to be the last one? Or I think were they I, planning on a fourth one even back then? They, they had that ending. They said, well, you know something? We're planning on doing one, but just in case we don't, this is the way it should go. Right. And that's the way it should go out with... The do you think there should, I mean, even though looks like that there's going to be no embarrassing four about, do you think there should be a fourth one? If we can have James Bond go for 30 years, why can't we have Indiana Jones? Uh-huh. It's just that people have to get over this thing where, well, nobody except Harrison Ford can play Indiana Jones. Well, you I know don't what? know if there's an actor right now of an age who could bring the same tone. I got Shoot one. Him. Okay, I got one. Shoot it. And it's one who you like. So, okay. Which, which is going to make this simple oh, for course. both of us. Dennis Quaid. Okay, sure, there you go. The guy who we talked about recently. Dennis Quaid. If you look at a lot of Dennis Quaid's recent movies, Mm -hmm. he looks a lot like Harrison Ford. Dennis Quaid is a terribly underrated actor. One of the most underrated Hollywood... We like Dennis Quaid. Yes. He's one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood. Even if the movie he's in is crap, he's good. He's always consistent. I saw the day after... One of my favorite... And we we talked about this last night. One of my favorite films that maybe... uh, Five or six people saw was Frequency. Frequency, yeah, we and, talked and about Jim that. Yeah. Excellent movie, wonderful movie. I recommend it highly. I can't recommend it enough if you like time travel movies. And it was a I know a t- lot of people, time travel movies makes their head hurt. But it was a different type yeah. of time travel movie. And the father-son relationship yeah. is what That's what made the film was about. That's it what it was, was about, really, yeah. a father and son relationship. Yeah. Basically... What would you say to your father if you had the chance? Yeah, exactly. Yes, there is like a thriller plot hooked onto it with the serial killer folks. But I don't even think they needed that plot. They really no, didn't. They no, could they have didn't. just did it. They, they wanted, I think they, they threw it in there more for like commercial considerations. Yeah, that's true. Just to sell it to the people that wouldn't go, well, I don't want to see something. Okay, so Dennis Quaid. You know what? If people had that mindset, and really, I've run into people who are really fanatical. Oh, how dare you suggest anybody but Harrison? But... People felt like that when Sean Connery played James well, Bond. Look at, the, look at the outcry we had not six months ago from the way they were taping about Daniel Craig. We got to admit, we were part of that. We I, were both part I of that. I admit it. I do, cannot lie. Yeah, I was part of it. But then I went to see Casino Royale, and boom, I was sold. Ten minutes into the and movie. And I still say that a lot of people talk about you know Timothy Dalton uh-huh. being a terrible choice. 
I think he was the best Bond of the lot. There's a good case to be made for Timothy Dalton being mm-hmm. in. A lot of people say, oh, Timothy Dalton, people, well, he only made two movies. Yeah, but they were two damn good movies. What a lot like, of people don't know is that Dalton had been considered to replace Sean Connery back in the 70s. Yeah, he was, but he felt he He, he was too young. He, yeah, he said he I himself, voluntarily took, took his name out of it. Yeah, he felt he was too young to play the part. Sure, I mean, even though we have all these serious problems with, with the third film, and uh, I have serious problems with the second film, these are still films that are worth revisiting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't have all three in my collection if it wasn't for... You and me both. I mean, yeah. these are movies that I could sit in, and especially me, because you know I'm fanatical oh, yeah. about the Pulp era. And I'm we're we're probably going to, at a, at a future time, going to record an episode dealing specifically with movies based on Pulp era characters. Well, uh, well, I plan on doing a little bit of research yeah. into uh, serials such as Flash Gordon, mm-hmm. you know, that, well, uh, you science, know, that science fiction theme. And, uh, you did hear, this is probably something we'll, we'll bring up, the, the Pulp episode. What's that? Sci-Fi Channel has just commissioned a new Flash Gordon TV show. I heard that. And if they don't have the Queen theme song, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it, man. you got to do nah, nah, yeah. For, ah. Do you remember the Flesh Gordon? Savior of the Universe? Uh, yeah. Flesh Gordon. Remember yeah. The, the, the ads they, they ran when Flash Gordon came out where they were like, what Flash Gordon has? Cool music. Uh-huh. By Queen. Uh-huh. What we have. And all this list of all the... Yeah, well, I read that Flesh Gordon is a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. I think I saw that way, way back in the day when it first came out, but I yeah. will probably briefly remember being too drunk to remember what it was much about it. You know, that was X rated version. Yeah, of Flash. yeah, Flesh and Gordon. you know, it's it's recently about three years ago, Paramount put out a four disc set of the Indiana Jones trilogy, which included an extra disc, much like the old Star Wars trilogy mm-hmm. sets, which contained. A bonus disc, of, which is, contains like an almost two-hour-long documentary about the three films. Uh-huh. You, could, you could probably find it in discount DVD or something. Something like $30, $40. So, definitely something to own if you are interested in adventure films and interested in this type of high pulp storytelling. And I'd go so far to say, as Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of those movies that I would say I have a personal list that I may share with you guys one day of 50 films that if you haven't seen them, don't even call yourself a movie fan. Raiders of the Lost Ark is definitely one of those movies. I guess that'll be it. We through for now? I think we're through for now. I can go back to my card game? I think it's time. Actually, I think it's time for us to go upstairs and see the the cult speed up the bears. Now, won't this be funny if the bears win tonight? (laughs) Okay, folks, uh, we'll be back in a few weeks. And until then... Take good care of yourselves. You guys be good to each other. Take care. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Derek Ferguson and Thomas DJ. Better in the Dark is aware of the numerous mistakes in its last broadcast, but give us a break. It was our first time. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better, the letter N, the dark, at gmail.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation made in conjunction with Sci-Fi Fan Radio. All material copyright Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, don't take your bullwhip to town unless you plan on using it. I came here to save you! Oh yeah? And who's gonna come to save you, Junior? I told you! Don't call me Junior.